What's the craziest thing you have in your junk drawer? Anybody got a crazy thing? We have a leather shoelace in our junk drawer, a leather shoelace. And the story behind why we have a leather shoelace in the junk drawer is the kind of story that would only lead to you having a leather shoelace in your junk drawer. So I have a, a good friend whose family owns the largest alligator skin tanning factory in North America. Yes, and so my two youngest uh, sons and my dad got to go on a tour of their plant and it's the whole process from beginning to end. It's a fascinating process. In fact, here's a picture of my two youngest next to uh, a completely dried out. That's how that they all end up like that and then they dye them and finish them. So at the end of our tour, he gave my boys some finished strips of alligator skin leather uh, that were you know, dyed and different finishes on them. And of course, they needed to make bracelets out of them, so we got some, uh, so we got some leather shoelaces to make bracelets. And now we have leather shoelaces in the junk drawer just in case we need to make alligator skin bracelets ever again. <laughs> That's kind of the way junk drawers go, right? Stuff just kind of gets thrown in there. It ends up there. You're not sure how it got there or there. It's a crazy story. They're often full of a lot of things you've been meaning to get rid of. Uh, how many, how many or, or just, they're just there. How many of you have a deck of cards in your junk drawer? I got a deck of cards, right? There's always a deck of cards. Old coupons, they're expired in 18, right? Anybody got a phone book in their, in their junk drawer? Remember those? Remember the, the paper things where you looked up stuff? Um, a pack of chewing gum since you had since 11th grade, maybe, perhaps? So come on, somebody's got something from high school. But that's just kind of the way junk drawers are. They get filled up with junk, with stuff, that you've been meaning to get rid of, but mostly it's harmless because it's mostly just clutter. But in this series, we're talking about how our hearts and our souls kind of have junk drawers too. They have, we have these pockets in our hearts where stuff gets cluttered, but it's more than just stuff that takes up space. If it gets in there too long, it can become toxic. In fact, there's some of the things that you've been hoping and meaning and and planning to get rid of maybe for a long time. For the last couple of weeks, we talked about getting rid of negativity, and last week we talked about getting rid of excuses. And for the next four weeks, we're gonna finish up this series by talking about getting rid of regret, shame, guilt, unforgiveness, and grudges, fear. And today, we're gonna to talk about worry, getting rid of worry. What, what would it look like? What could be possible if you could clean out your inner junk drawer? What, what, would life, what could be possible in life if your heart was free and clear of some of those things that you've been meaning to get rid of for a long time? Well, the Bible actually talks about how to deal with all of these issues. And today we're going to look specifically at what Jesus said about this issue of worry. So, are you a worrier? You're a worrier, you don't have to raise your hand. This isn't confession time. Some of you are looking at your husband or looking at your wife or looking at your friend because you know they're a worrier. Do you worry about things you shouldn't worry about? Have you ever wondered why we worry? Why do we worry? It's really simple. We worry because of uncertainty. 
You never worry about things that seem certain. You worry about uncertainty. Right? You never worry. You don't wake up in the morning and they're like, oh, I hope the lights come on when I flip that switch. Because it seems almost certain. If they don't come on, now you're worried. There's uncertainty about why the light didn't come on. Is it just a bulb? Has, have we blown up the breaker broken? Or is electricity out in the whole neighborhood? Or will we never have power again? Right? Uncertainty. But you don't worry about things that seem pretty certain. You don't, worry, you don't go to bed at night and like, I don't know if the sun's going to come up tomorrow. It seems pretty certain. We worry about things that's, that are uncertain. A future that seems uncertain. And as uncertainty escalates, so does worry. In fact, new uncertainties can create new worries. Never before, never before, had you ever worried that your groceries might be contaminated and you wiped them down after you got home from the grocery store until about nine or 10 months ago. And some of you, you remember we did that for like a week or two or a month or 10 months? Like, because now it was uncertain. We were uncertain how this virus affected us. You never, ever worried about going to the grocery store and wondering if they would be out of toilet paper, right? Now, when it's cold, we're like, there's no milk, bread, and eggs because there's like one drop of snow that's going to come down in the south. But you never worried that they were going to be out of toilet paper until you walked in the grocery store that first time and it was clear and now you had a, there was a new worry. There were new uncertainties. Products couldn't get the shelves. And so as uncertainty raised and escalated, so did our worry. Uh, here's an interesting thing about worry. Psychologists say that worry actually tricks our brains. Did you know that? A worry actually tricks our brains. Let me explain how this happens. So, I have a teenage son that drives. He's 16, he's been driving for a little less than a year. And um, if you don't have teenagers yet, and you think you know what worry and prayer is, <clears throat> right? Those moms and dads that have seen those little ones that you held in their, or your arms and they drive out into this brave world driving this 2,000 pound machine with other people with 2,000 pound machines all around them. That's a new kind of worry and a new kind of new kind of fear, a new kind of prayer life. So here's the way worry tricks our brains. We worry about something. We, have, we worry that our loved one is gonna have a car wreck. We worry that the plane is gonna crash. We worry um, that the test results are gonna come back positive for COVID or for cancer. We worry that we're gonna lose our job. Whatever it is you worry about, we worry about all these things, right? We worry and then we're worried something bad's gonna happen. And then nothing bad happens. And you know what happens in your body and in your mind? Your actually signals get sent to your brain that actually reward your inner self that tell you that it was your worrying that did the trick. Right? It sends a trick to your brain that says, oh, thank goodness you worried so much. That's why they didn't have a wreck. That's why the plane didn't crash. That's why you didn't lose your job, because you worried so much. That's, so here's what happens with worry. Worry feels like control. It feels like you are influencing the outcomes of uncertainties. Because most of the time, nothing bad happens. 
So the more you worry, the more you perpetuate this trick that happens in your body, in your heart, but most importantly, literally in your brain that tells you if you'll just worry enough, then nothing bad will happen. It feels like you're influencing the outcome. Now, come on, come on, come on. We're all, we're all adults here. You know that's not true. You know that your worry didn't stop something bad from happening. And you know that not worrying enough won't cause something bad to happen. But worry feels like control. And we all love control. That's why if you and I are going to deal with worry today, we're going to have to figure out how to deal with uncertainty and a future and events and life and out there and things that we cannot control. So really worry is kind of a control thing because we have to recognize that there is always going to be uncertainty out there. And this is exactly the issue that Jesus addresses when he talks, when he speaks into the struggle with worry. He said, like, you, if you're going to deal with worry, you got to figure out how to deal with uncertainty. So today this this uh, teaching that we're going to look at from Jesus is from Luke chapter 12. It starts in verse 22. If you got Bibles, if you brought your Bible with you, if you don't have a hard copy, we'd love to give you one. There's, some, there's a station right when you leave, a bookshelf, that just take one. It's free and it's yours. Uh, or if you got your phones or maybe you're at home there and you've got your tablet out or whatever it is that you're looking on, if we're just going to camp out in Luke 12, starting in verse 22. And Jesus speaks intentionally directly into this issue. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Oh, thanks Jesus. I'm done worrying now. What you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Just don't worry about it. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. I mean, it seems so plain. You wish you could just hear Jesus say, don't worry about it, and go, okay, no sweat, no problem. I just stopped worrying anymore. But we're going to deal with these uncertainties here in just a second. So when Jesus talks about life and body here, you see these, for life is more than food and body, and at the first one, in the, and in the verse before he said the same thing, he uses this words. The Greek words that Luke uses to describe Jesus' teaching here are two different kinds, and it, and it speaks to what we understand is that they're, we're kind of made up of two different parts of life. The Greek word for life is psyche, which we understand, the mind, there's an inner life, right? You've got an emotional, a spiritual, uh, a personality. That you, you and I recognize that there is a, um, a, a psyche to us, and then there is the body. The word that Luke uses here is soma that Jesus says which we even use today, like if something is somatic, that means it's physical, it's bodily. So what Jesus is saying is like, listen, I understand that there, there, there are two parts of a person. You've got, you've got inward, you've got mental, spiritual, emotional, those things that are hard to put a finger on that don't have, you know, that don't have blood cells and, and marrow, and then you've got body. You've got a physical needs. You've got health needs. I understand that you are made, there is more to you than meets the eye, Jesus says. And I understand that there is more to what you need in both, 
than maybe you even understand. There's more to life than just food. There's, there's more to your body than what you put on it. There's, there's, even more, there's more than meets the eye when it comes to you. And, and I want to help you understand how best to meet your really deep down needs. And then so Jesus shares a story or kind of a metaphor. And the first one is about birds. This is what he says. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. And yet, God feeds them. And I love this. Look at what he says. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Look at the ravens. They, they don't have a sow. They don't reap. They don't have a storeroom. They don't have a barn. They don't have a plan. Right? They don't have a plan. They don't have a master strategy for how they're going to eat, which is what a lot of us do when we wake up every day, right? I got four boys. That's all they're asking. What, what, what's, the, what's the next meal? What are we having for dinner? What's up? What we got in the pantry? What's in the fridge? They've got strategy. Ravens don't have a plan. They don't even have a life. They, they, they're just, I mean, they have needs. They haven't, they, God hasn't created them with the things that he has enabled humans to do, and yet... Though they don't have a plan, they don't have a strategy, God meets their needs. And it's almost like Jesus wants to look them in the eye and go, come on, come on, guys. And you're more valuable than birds. I mean, God's, if God takes care of the ravens, God's going to take care of you. You're more important than they are. You shouldn't be worried. Now, there's a problem with this here that I'll bet you're thinking because I know I was thinking when I read it that I want to get to in a minute. But first, I want, I want you to see what Jesus says next because so powerful, so powerful. Jesus says, <clears throat> who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? This is, this is incredible. Who of, you, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? It's like Jesus is looking at all the worriers in the crowd and goes, hey, how's that working out for you? I'm like, is that, is, that, is that a good plan for your life? I mean, how's that working out for you? You feel like you're really doing some good with that worry? You can't, you're, kind of, you're not fixing anything. You're not adding any time to your life. You can't go back in time and fix things that you worried about. You can't give yourself more time to prepare for all the uncertainties. In fact, what Jesus really says is what we all know to be true. Worry can't add one hour to your life, but it sure can take many away. How many hours have you wasted worrying? How much time, how many years have you wasted worrying about stuff that you had no control over in the first place? If not, why do we do it? The answer's coming. But first, Jesus wants to tell another story about our outward needs, our body, before he digs deep and dives deep into this this control over uncertainty that we're all so bent on when it comes to worry. So this is the second metaphor, and this one's even simpler. 
Jesus said, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, what he is saying is wildflowers aren't things that you plant, they turn into mulch because you end up cutting them. Right? They're here today and gone tomorrow, they end up thrown into the fire. They're just, they're nothing. If God cares that much about them, how much more will he clothe you? Don't you know that God loves you more than these? God is paying attention to and providing for grass clippings. I mean, come on, how much more is he going to care for you? Th here's the, the thesis of Jesus' teaching here, all right? Ravens and wildflowers aren't made in God's image, you are. So if God cares for the ravens and the wildflowers, which are not as important as you, which are not created in God's image, which are not his people, which are not meant to be with him in eternity, which are not meant to be in relationship with him, how much more do you think he's going to care for you? Now, but I want to talk about the problem here. Now let me just say that there might be some of us watching or here in the room who have experienced exactly what Jesus was talking about, the worries that he was dealt with, dealt with. Some of you remember being in a tough spot. Maybe some of you are in a tough spot. Some of you have, have times that you didn't know where your next meal was going to come from, and you relate to exactly what Jesus was saying. Some of you were worried that you have been in times where you worried that your kid might, have a, might not have a warm coat in the wintertime that fit and you resonate with what Jesus said. But here's the problem that I have reading this passage, and I'll bet you do. I've never worried about the things Jesus is talking about worrying about. I mean, come on. Most of us aren't worried about where our next meal is going to come from. Most of us are worried about where we're going to eat after church. Like, where are you going to get takeout from? Now your stomach's growling. I've ruined it, everything. Most of, us are, most of us throw enough food away for two or three other people every single week. In fact, most of us not only are not worried about where our, where our next meal is going to come from, most of us are worried about getting rid of all the meals we ate in December. Amen? Right? You're on the new workout regimen. We're, trying, we're on a new diet. We're on a new plan. We're trying, we're not, most of us aren't worried about that. And most of us aren't worried about clothes we're going to wear. In fact, most of us have a closet full of too many clothes and a box ready to go to Goodwill that we just keep filling up and filling up. And we got brand new clothes for Christmas. Some of them we will never wear because it's a sweater from that aunt and she doesn't exactly have our taste. These aren't worries. If we're just honest, can I just be honest? I want to read this passage, and I want to look at Jesus, and I go, Jesus, appreciate the teaching. Um, I don't think we're worried about the same things that you're talking about being worried about, Jesus. It feels like we're worried about much bigger things. Like, we're worried about our children. We're worried about our jobs, Jesus. We're worried about our retirement, our 401k. We're worried about our country. Jesus, we're worried about this week in our country. We're worried about our community. 
We're worried about the economy and this wretched virus that won't leave us alone. We're worried about the vi vaccine. Will we just have to take it once? Will it work? Will we have to take it again? Will it knock it out? Jesus, we're worried about aging parents and grandchildren that live way too far away. Jesus, I know you're talking about worry, but can we just be honest, Jesus? It feels like we're worried about much bigger things than you're talking about being worried about. Am I the only one that feels that when I read this passage? This is why it's so important to understand context. This is why it's so important to understand who Jesus was speaking to when he was speaking to them. This wasn't written to 2021, you and me. It was written to people 2,000 years ago, living in a land much different than ours. It was written to people who were literally sitting around Jesus who lived meal to meal, and if they caught fish, they ate. If they didn't, they didn't. Or if they sold whatever their family made, they had money to then buy two fish for their family to eat for the next two or three days. Jesus was sitting around talking to people who literally probably had one cloak, and if it got cold enough that you needed two cloaks, they were in trouble. You see, for them, this was a big deal. And if Jesus were talking to me and you, I would guarantee you that he would use totally different metaphors. He might talk about raising children and the uncertainties of that. He might talk about our health and the uncertainties of our future. But it isn't about what we're worried about that Jesus wants to speak to. It's why we're worried in the first place. And that spans across all the generations and all the millennium. And here's what Jesus says the problem is with worry. Whether you're worried about where your next meal is gonna come from or whether you're worried if you're gonna have enough when you retire. You of little faith. You worry, Jesus says, because of faith. Worry is a choice. Remember what we said about worry? Why do you worry? Because you're positive how things are going to turn out? No, why do you worry? Uncertainty. 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 See, here's what Jesus is saying. There was always a gap between what we know and what we don't know. There is always a space in here of what we know and what we don't know the uncertainty of the future, how the test results are going to come back, what's going to happen with the company, what's going to happen with the economy, what's going to happen with the government. There are always uncertainties. What's going to happen in this relationship? And Jesus says that you and I get the choice between uh, if what we put in the middle. We can put in the middle worry or faith. What do you choose to put in the gap between what you know and what you don't know? Here's what I know. I've bought my teenager a, a reliable car. He's a pretty good driver, all right? He's a pretty good driver. It's not like Vestavia Hills is the, you know, Autobahn, fairly safe community. Here's what I don't know. I don't know how other people are gonna drive out there. I don't know if they're paying attention. I, I, there's things I just don't know. I don't know what the road conditions are gonna be if it's rainy. Now, I can choose what I'm gonna put in there. Am I gonna put worry or am I gonna put faith in there? Here's what I know. Oh, man, 
Last quarter at the company was the worst quarter we have ever had, and we didn't make all our sales goals. And that's what I know. Things aren't looking good at the company. Here's what I don't know. I saw my manager and the CEO, they were having a conversation behind closed doors. I could see through the windows, and they were talking. And I don't know if they were talking about me. Am I going to lose my job? Am I next? Am I on the chomping block? What am I going to put in there, worry or faith? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So are you telling me that if I just have enough faith, then nothing bad will ever happen with what I don't know? They'll never have a car wreck. There will never be uh, a plane crash. The test results will always come back negative. I'll never get let go. We'll always have enough money. Is that what you're telling me? Nope. What I think Jesus is saying is that worry is really the belief that God isn't enough. That I can't handle this life if that doesn't go right or this doesn't go right. It's why Jesus says, you of little faith. There is not a trick, listen church, listen, listen, listen. There is not a trick to get rid of worry. There's just a decision to put faith where you have always put worry. You and I will never, ever, ever, ever get rid of what we don't know. You will never wake up in a day that, has un that doesn't have uncertainties. You will never be fully in control. What you can choose to do is make the decision to put, to put faith in the place of worry. That's the answer. And Jesus isn't quite done. Listen to how he closes it out. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Your father knows that you need them. When you worry, you look just like the rest of the world. Jesus is saying, I never called you to be fortune tellers or future predictors. I called you to be faith people. You are people of faith. You are people who trust. You are people who put faith in the gap. And then Jesus brings it home with his closing statement. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. That's it. Seek his kingdom first. You want control, Jesus says. I tell you what, you have more control than you realize. You have more control than you realize. You control whether you are fully surrendered to God. You control whether you are deepening your love for him. You control whether you are reading, applying, and obeying his word. You control whether you are spending time in prayer. You control whether you are loving God and loving your neighbor. You control whether you are giving your whole life to God. If we're about all those things, if you will seek those things, then you will hardly have time to worry. And if you'll do that, then all the rest, Jesus says, will be given to you. I love the old King James Version in this. It says, all these things will be added unto you. They're just additions. It's gravy. It's just gravy. Now, again, you might be thinking, so does this mean, does this mean that if I just seek his kingdom, that if I just seek his kingdom, then all the things I hope for and think I want and need will come true and that everything will be okay. Is that what it means? That if I just seek his kingdom, then my kid will get into the college I want, that grandma will be healed, that I'll not lose my job, that I'll have enough money. No, Jesus is saying is that what we really need is the kingdom and you can't 
you can't control the rest anyway because there are uncertainties in life, but you can choose to put faith in the gap and believe that he's going to walk with you even if the worst case scenario happens in your life. You can live with the worst case scenario in life, but you can't live without the kingdom. That's what he's saying. If all the uncertainties go wrong, if everything just breaks apart, you can live with that. They're just things that are added to you anyway, but the thing you can't live without is the kingdom that your body needs, your heart needs, your soul needs, your psyche needs, your spirit needs. So could you just do that? Here's what I think Jesus would say it does if he's saying his own words, seeking the kingdom. This is what Jesus would tell us. I'll give God my best and trust him with the rest. Would you say that with me? I'll give God my best. You did not mean that. Come on, come on, come on. I'll give God my best and trust him with the rest. I'll give God my best and trust him with the rest. You want control? You get to control that. You get to control. You know what? You, you get, do not get to control how your kids turn out. But parents, you get to control if you give God your best in raising them. You do not get to control relationships, but you get to control if you are a husband who loves his wife like Christ loves the church, or a wife who loves and honors her husband, or if you're a great friend who puts others before themselves, you get to control that. You do not get to control if you keep your job or if your career works out, but you get to control if you give God your best in your job, and you are the type of employee and employer that everyone wants to work with because you truly love your neighbor as yourself. You do not get to control what happens with your money, but you get to control if God gets your best in your money and if you practice generosity and wise biblical stewardship, you get to control that. You do not get to control what happens with your health, but you get to control whether you honor God with your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are you controlling what you can control and giving God your best and trusting him with the rest? What would it look like? What would it look like if you and I said, with what I control... The 24 hours I've got, I am going to seek his kingdom every single moment of every single day, and I'm going to give God my best. And with all the things that are uncertain, all the things that are worthy of worrying about, I'm going to trust him with the rest. Not because... They're not real, and they're not scary, and they're not important, but because he is trustworthy. And my faith tells me that he can not only supply all my needs, that he is all I need. That's what it means to put faith in the gap. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we seek out this kind of peace, this kind of trust. Lord, we're, we so desire to have this kind of, this kind of faith. But Lord, if we're honest, there are worries, uncertainties ahead of us. And Lord, today, could we just release them to you? We just want to say we're going to give you our best. And we're going to trust you with the rest. 
because, God, that's the only card we've got to play. The time we've got from the moment we can wake up to the moment we go to bed, Lord, we want to seek your kingdom first. We want to give you our best, God. And give us a peace. Give us a peace with the uncertainties when we trust you with all the rest. I pray, God, that the worry that grips people in this room and listening online, watching online, would be released today and emptied from our junk drawer in our heart. And that we would walk out with people as people who put faith in the place that we had put worry. That we'd walk out in peace. In Jesus' name, amen.